Let's Talk listeners. Today, we're bringing you a special bonus episode clip from TGC's podcast, Gospel Bound. In this episode, host Colin Hansen and Melissa Kruger, one of your Let's Talk co-hosts, discuss the big stories and trends of 2022 and how they see God working. To hear the full episode after this clip, just head over to the Gospel Bound podcast. There's a link for you right here in the show notes. Now here's Colin and Melissa. Let's listen in. Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Bound featuring Let's Talk. I'm Colin Hansen. I'm the host of Gospel Bound, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Melissa Kruger, one of the hosts of Let's Talk. You're listening to a bonus season end episode, and we wanted to take you behind the scenes, look back on the big stories and trends of the year of our Lord, 2022, and thank you for listening and encouraging us in this work. Hey, Colin. Hey, hey. It's good to be back. <laughs> it was a lot of fun last year. I don't think a lot of people realize the episode last year that we recorded together, the most downloaded ever in the history of Gospel Bound. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. It's all it's all you, Melissa. If yeah, oh no! If people could just realize how much we talk together, That's true. And could, somebody could just record our conversations all the time. This is basically what it is. That's true. <laughs> Colin and Melissa, regular conversation, but it's super fun to be here. And um, a lot's happened since our last time together. Um, and we'll jump in. And you've written a great article: top ten theological stories for this year. I mean, there are certain things I don't think when I, when I was looking at your article. I was like, wow, a year ago, we never could have imagined some of these things. Um, And we'll talk about those in a minute. But you have something I'm super excited about coming out in the next year. Um, Can you tell us about the project that you've been working on? Well, there it is. Thanks, Melissa. For anyone watching on video. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation. Uh, You know, as I was was working on this book, Melissa, I, I thought about... Uh, the question that you get asked a lot as an author, how long have you been doing this? And I thought, well, in some ways, three years, really busily. (laughs) But then in many ways, for 12 years, uh, 15, uh, 12 years working at the Gospel Coalition, uh, which Tim had co-founded, 15 years since I've known Tim uh, at the beginning of the Gospel Coalition when I was still working at Christianity Today, but in a lot of ways, been working on, on this project for uh, for 20 years uh, since I've been been in journalism and, and studying evangelical history. And so um, I mean, I'm eager for people to see this book. I, I may even have copies early January, February 7th is the pub date on the book. Um, I think a lot of people are going to assume, Melissa, that it's a that it's a biography and it is in some ways, but it's not like a traditional biography. Um, First of all, Tim's still around and he's doing great work. Uh, the latest on his on his health has been been very positive with his pancreatic cancer diagnosis. Uh, second, it's not a critical biography um, because I'm close with Tim. I admire Tim. I appreciate Tim. I work with Tim, and so um, and so it's it's not it's not that kind of thing. It's also not primarily a narrative of his of his life. Uh, Tim does not love to speak about himself. Um, that's one of the reasons I think people are going to find the book to be so fascinating. I had a friend, um, 
read the first three chapters, which, by the way, if you pre-order the book, uh, go to timothykellerbook.com. Give us that pre-order information. We will send you uh, the first three chapters of the book right now. You can listen right now. We'll send you a bunch of other bonus content. In fact, um, a list that Tim put together of the most important books written in his lifetime, not by him, by other people. And uh, I also put together a list of the top books that uh, will help you to understand Tim. Because that's a really a lot of what the what the book is focused on. But anyway, I had a I had a friend who started to read the first three chapters, and she made a comment about not not knowing a lot about Tim's home life growing up. And well, it wasn't Tim who talked to me about that. It was Tim's sister who talked with me about that. And that's really what the book is a lot of. It's talking with the best man at Tim's uh, Tim and Kathy's wedding. Uh, who also was Tim's best friend in college, who was who was there the night that Tim became a Christian. He'd been living this kind of double life as he was exploring um, his, his faith and trying to figure things out. This guy's birthday was when um, he wakes up and Tim is, is lying like on the floor at the foot of the bed. His le- he's just been transformed physically. You could tell that he'd been transformed by the Holy Spirit. So just talking with people like that or... It just a, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I was able to get thanks to the permission Tim and Kathy gave, not just to me, but to all of their friends to talk to me. So in that sense, you, you I, mean, I did do many hours of interviews with Tim, but I think what I like about the project so much, Melissa, is that it was based off talking with other people about Tim and Kathy, who, as you know, is a powerhouse unto herself. What I love about that is it seems to embody the whole notion of self-forgetfulness yeah, that we true. all love <laughs> from Tim Keller. True. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, and so it's almost like you had to ask other people because he's just not thinking about himself all the time and doesn't want to talk about what he thinks about everything. And so I kind of love that that's part of this book, that you had to actually go to other sources. I was doing the audio book, and there's a very emotional part of the book um, where we, we learn about Tim's, um, he had a younger sister, uh, has a younger sister, and had a younger brother uh, who died in the 1990s, 1998, and died of AIDS. And um, that's a very emotional part, uh, just even reading through the book. And so there'll be a lot that people will learn, not just about Tim and Kathy's lives. Um, I love about Kathy that she was uh, one of the last people to correspond with C.S. Lewis um, as a as a preteen. Uh, <laughs> like I said, she's a powerhouse unto herself. So eager, that'll be a, a fun thing. Not quite ready for Christmas, unless you want to go ahead and, and pre-order that book and tell people what's going to be coming to them in, uh, in early February, uh, Lord willing. So uh, thanks to my friends at uh, Zonovan Reflective for all their great work on that. Uh, Melissa, you're always up to a lot. Uh, I would love to know how many years in a row you've published a book at this point um, of a lot of different varieties. You're always, you've got one out, you've got one that you're thinking about, you've got one that you're, um, you know, long, you're just kind of stewing around in your head. And we'll talk about several of those. But I want to talk about a couple things in particular, looking back on this last year. One, a book, uh, His Grace is Enough, another one of your children's books. And then I'd just love to hear more about as you think back to the Gospel Coalition Women's Conference in 2022, just some of your some of your favorite memories and, and what you've seen the Lord do through that book and, and through that event. Yeah, yeah, they came out the same month. 
you know, all, it feels like all women's books now come out in even years. Um, so they can come out for, for our conference that you plan. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, the conference was really amazing. I'm so thankful. I mean, to get to see all these women gathered around um, God's word, um, just getting to sing together. It, it's something that's really difficult to describe um, how wonderful it is. It feels like a little foretaste. I know people say this all the time, a little foretaste of heaven. And what well, our be first, it's our first in-person normal women's gathering since 2018, correct? Yes. There were no masks. Yeah. <sighs> That was great. Mm, that was there were good. no um, awkward dismissals because we had to dismiss everyone in yeah. like groups of like 200. Oh, I forgot about that with all the yeah. different lights that would flash yeah, up front to tell really you when you could dismiss. Fun. Yeah. Um, so I'm super, it was just great. Yeah. I, what I love about it is I have friends from kind of my real life in Charlotte who were there. And then I have friends from all over the country who we've gotten to know through ministry connections. And it's it's pretty beautiful to get to see. And well, what, that's the taste of heaven, right? Yeah, it's because yeah. it's so many of those friends from so many different walks of life. It's that kind of spiritual yeah. reunion. Yeah. And the and the and the main event is Jesus. Yeah. yeah I mean that's what I love. It's Amen. it's we it's a conference that really we try to focus on God's word, not not the the people are there delivering it up in su- in certain ways, but it's really let's look at Jesus in a in a new way. And what I loved about this conference, we were in the Old Testament, but always looking at Jesus. How how is he the rock from which the water poured out? You know how how is he symbolizing the ark? of our salvation. You know, all of these images that we have in the Old Testament that actually point us to Christ. And we ended with that. I love the story of David and Mephibosheth and this beautiful um, invitation to the king's table. And so it was great. There were so, And there was so many fun things. It wasn't just about remembering our joy. We got to do this project about sharing the joy. And we just found out, we were just talking a few minutes ago on our team call about um, a new Ukrainian and Russian website that came out of that conference to bring articles and gospel messages to people all over the world. So, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing what we get to do. I'm, I'm pretty thankful about that. What about the book, children's book? Oh, yeah. And then um, I'm excited. I had a new kid's book come out called His Grace is Enough. And honestly, I I have to say, I love these little kids book with a special place in my heart. Um, this one is really written. I've been writing kids books as my kids have actually been aging. And so this one is trying to get the message of of what grace is to young kids. So I'm I'm hoping I'm picturing them in a college dorm room, maybe thinking, I don't know if his grace is enough for me. I've done, I've made all the wrong choices. I've done all the things that people warn me not to do. And now I find my play myself in the pit of my own making. And I just wanted to write a book that hopefully I hoped would ring in their minds when they're two and come back maybe when they're 22 to remind them that his grace is enough. It's so big and so free. His grace is enough for both you and for me. So it was like, it was that, that, that desire to write children's books that will ring in our hearts when we're older. That's my, that's my hope. And to give parents words to know how to talk about grace. It's kind of a hard concept. Um, Does that mean that you're not going to get in trouble if you do wrong things (laughs) in my house, you know, and so to try to help kids um, get, get an understanding of what grace is and start those conversations between parents and kids, but it's a real joy to get to do. So that was, that was some of the stuff that came out in our personal lives in 2022, but let's move in um, 
to the top 10 theological stories of 2022. There's an article at TGC on this that everybody can go access. I highly encourage you to go read it. It's excellent. It really is interesting to look back at the past year and think about it in terms of what God is doing in the world. Um, But I want to start with... um, really looking at the world and some difficult stories that have happened in the past year that honestly, I don't think um, we could have imagined, you know, even when we look back that this first one, especially this SBC report um, that came out, I was pretty shocked by it. I, you know, I don't know how you felt about it. I was shocked. Yeah, I was shocked by the report. I guess that's the best way to say it. And the cover up and all the things that had happened in this past year. So two your your two of your top 10 stories um deal with basically actual physical abuse, I mean sexual abuse in the church and spiritual abuse in the church. Um so ha- as you did these stories and thought about this year, you know, how do we as believers in the pew respond wisely and biblically, when we hear of these church leaders maybe failing to walk in a manner worthy of go- the gospel, you know, I mean, there's this exposure that happens, but we're sitting in the pew and we hear these stories. And how are you seeing when the church at large respond to these stories? How do we as individuals in the pew respond to these stories? You know, Melissa, I think about the the mass shootings, which is another one of my top 10 uh, article, uh, top 10 theology stories of this last year. And I think we, we recognize that we, in some ways, we, we do have more mass shootings. There's also more police brutality in some ways, at least our perception of it. But so much of these things is filtered through our now exposure to these things in new ways. I don't think, Melissa, we would could really afford to be naive right now about how much these things have happened in the past. Um, How many women have suffered in small and large and ultimate ways from abuse? How many children have been abused? That this is not something that's unique to the Southern Baptist Convention or to the Roman Catholic Church or to the Boy Scouts or to whoever, but a lot of it was simply not known. Uh, it, it was not exposed. There were not places for articles to be written and podcasts to be recorded and Twitter threads to have been published from from victims and, and voices that had been uh, overlooked and ignored and, and shut out by gatekeepers in the past. We, we know there have always been abusive pastors, but there haven't necessarily been the means to be able to expose them. Uh, the investigations to be able to look into them, the um, the the places where people could turn to say, "Oh, wow, I, I didn't I didn't realize didn't realize what was happening, or that I wasn't the only one." It, it's been other people as well, and so uh, with our colleague Sarah Zalstra, she and I work a lot together on positive stories. But in this last year, we looked on looked at women and uh, young women, especially in social media. We're looking at young men now in video games. And when it comes back to so often, Melissa, is we're just living out the consequences of the internet revolution. And the internet revolution applied to abuse is that I don't, or, or, or um, abuse or especially police brutality, I don't know that we necessarily have more of it now 
in some ways we probably have less of it now, but we have a much heightened awareness of what is happening and therefore a greater sensitivity in a, in a positive way toward tolerating it. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's going to be a big story. A lot of the times, well, it's a year to year, there's a common theme in my stories because the major things don't really change necessarily year to year. So if you told me next year, there's going to be another major abuse scandal in the news, I would say, yeah, because we're living through a reckoning that is enabled in part by the multiplicity, endless multiplicity of voices uh, that the internet allows um, to be able to speak out. Um, so that's a lot of what I thought about um, about the abuse questions this last year. Because keep in mind, the Southern Baptist Convention, there was no chance the leaders wanted to voluntarily, um, you know, it disclose the fact that they had covered up all these cases. But it came twofold. A few years ago, of course, it came because of the Houston Chronicle, kind of old school, traditional journalistic investigation. But the only reason that it was demanded was because of essentially a social media or it was was required was a social media campaign that was largely Twitter based. Otherwise, this report never would have been produced. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I think it's interesting sometimes in life. Um, it, it's it's almost like I forget to read certain parts of the Bible. You know, it, it's kind of like we're always surprised by suffering. Yeah, but Jesus never promised a life free of suffering, but somehow it gets in our head um, a bit of a wrong prosperity gospel. And I think we also get into a little bit of a, I, I don't know if the right term is idolization of the church, but Jesus, you know, Peter, Paul, they all warned that there were going to be fierce wolves who would come in and devour the flock. I mean, they were saying this in the first century, warning the church to be on their guard. And I think I think it can be really easy with church leaders to put our guards down because we rightly respect and admire and love them. Um, and, and that's why in some ways this may be more painful because we think this is supposed to be a safe place. And it, it's just a good reminder, I think, to, to be sober, um, not to be overly fearful, but to be sober in, in our assessment of any church setting. Um, to just be aware of what could be going on. There's a lot of talk, Melissa, about the church as a family. And I love and I appreciate that. And I think we see theologically and biblically the way that works out with brothers and sisters. But what happens when you get hurt in the family? Um, it's as bad as it gets. And and when you combine that family with the very things of life and death, of eternity, of heaven and hell, um, there's no there's no hurt. Um, it goes quite so deep um, as church hurt. And so we're just, we're, it's not that it's new, but what's new is that we know a lot more about it. And hopefully uh, through books like Mike Kruger's new Bully Pulpit, a recent award winner for the Gospel Coalition Book Awards, uh, that we'll be more vigilant about and not only forsaking those temptations ourselves as church leaders, uh, but also holding one another and our leaders accountable. And I do think there's an encouragement in the fact that if Jesus knew this was going to be part of our story, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with the church. I mean, it doesn't mean the church itself is a bad institution. It means there are individuals who use the goodness of the church for evil ends, but the Lord will expose them. And I think that's what I feel encouraged by that. He He's constantly refining his church and he loves the church and we can love the church unabashedly and unashamedly and still say 
hey, we need to be aware as we're walking in the doors that, that these things can happen.